I'm going in! Cover me! Look out! Renee! Those sounds are just a small snippet of the kind of extreme vocal work that video games are now demanding of voice actors. In fact, Actra Toronto undertook a survey earlier this year that found roughly 40% of members asked almost always experience vocal fatigue or stress during such a voiceover session, with another 20% finding it hard to recover vocally. In response to those concerns, University of Cincinnati professor of voice Darcy Smith has created the vocal combat technique, a method to help voice actors and performers make aggressive sounds in the healthiest way possible. He joins us on this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, joined by voice health expert Caitlin Reed. Both performers themselves, Reed and Smith, offer some solid advice here on how to optimize your vocal health no matter what part of the performance industry you work in, from warm-up and recovery to best practices, and why morning voice doesn't have to be a thing. Hi, I'm Darcy Smith. I am currently a professor of voice at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, I'm also a voice and dialect coach. I've worked on, gosh, hundreds and hundreds of productions by this point as a voice and dialect coach. was a resident voice coach at the Guthrie Theater for a number of years. So I've worked in stage, film, and now mostly, I would say, in video games as a, as a voice and dialect coach. My journey with voice really began... As a young actor, I, I had a lot of stage fright. And so at the 10 minute call, I would run to the restroom and, uh, you know, vomit. <laughs> and then at the five minute call, I would go back and brush my teeth and sort of cobble myself together through the first scene. And it really was my voice teacher, uh, David Smuckler at York University, who, who taught me breathing techniques and voice techniques to, to use that energy um, and really begin to manage that energy and excitement and nervousness into a way that was, that was, you know, I could become a performer again. And I just found that as I was an actor for a number of years, I kept being drawn back to voice in particular. I uh, was doing voiceover acting, I uh, was doing audio books, but, but found myself really wanting to become and invest in being a voice coach, really understanding the voice completely. And that's what I've been doing for, for mostly like the last 17 years. Hi, I'm Caitlin Reed, and I'm a speech pathologist at the University of Cincinnati in Ohio. Um, I started out not at all in the medical field. I was an undergraduate in dramatic performance and kind of got hooked on voice through my training as an actor. I had a really wonderful um, voice professor, Rocco Dalvera, who was an, an incredible giant in the field and uh, got me very addicted to all things voice production. And in particular, I, I kind of geeked out about accents and dialects and phonetics and things like that and wound up um, being so interested in that. I kind of <laughs> ended up being asked to like correct my fellow students' homework um, by some of the teachers who knew that I really liked it just to help them out. Um, so I, I did that for a little while. And then someone on the faculty, an, a teacher who was a, doing a voice class, was being promoted when someone quit and kind of was an emergent thing. They, they sort of got given an interim dean position and their courses, they weren't going to be able to keep up with all of them. So I 
think I believe I was a senior in my undergraduate degree, and they asked if I would teach the course in accents and dialects um, at 22. So I jumped in, and I think I had like a couple days of teaching where the, that teacher vetted me and found that I knew enough of what I was doing to take it over for a while. So I did that, and I taught as an adjunct um, at the College Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati for about a decade altogether. But when I started teaching, I had just an actor's perspective on the voice. I had no outside knowledge of anything. And I was advised by my mentor to go and reach further out into the science of things just to augment what I was teaching in the classes. And so speech pathology was what he had suggested I look into. And I, I went and just got that degree with the purpose of coming back and being a voice teacher at a university and being a performer. And I really didn't have any goal of working clinically, but I was told by someone else who had followed a similar path that it's very addicting getting into patient care. It's it's nice to help people. And I thought I would, I was like, I'll like it, but I won't like it as much as working with actors. And then I that's that didn't happen. I, I really like patient care. So you have to do a placement. I spent nine months at a private practice in Columbus working only on voice. I was fortunate that because that was my main interest, speech pathology is a very wide field. You could help people remember how to swallow and, uh, you know, work through brain injuries or strokes and, and help children speak well. There's, there's all different areas of it. So voice is a very, very small piece, but that was what I was interested in. So I focused on that, fortunately, through my fellowship and then into my professional life. So I now work at a voice and swallowing center where all I do every day is work with people on producing their best and healthiest and most authentic voice. I get to do evaluations. So I'm, I'm scoping. I've learned about the instrument now. And uh, Darcy and I kind of got together um, collaborating over that, that he was developing programs about kind of the artistry and safety of of the voice and brought me in so that I could collaborate with him. And it's, it's uh, been, I guess, how we got to where we are now. I think vocal health has long been on the radar in, you know, acting and stage performance and music, but less so in the voiceover and vocal performer front. But that's kind of changing and partly because of the rise of all the vocal work necessary for video games do you want to talk about your own experiences, Darcy, with some of the more taxing sound effects that you found yourself working on? You know, it was a shock for both Caitlin and myself. You know, uh, we sort of got into this business, for lack of a better word, sort of by we were training actors, uh, stage actors and stage combatants to, you know, grunt and, and growl and scream as you might do in a stage fight. And it was during a workshop of that in, uh, in Toronto that a group of actors came up to us and said, hey, we want to know if you can help us do what we need to do in, in video games because we're destroying our voices. And I had no idea what they were talking about at the time. And so I sort of thought, well, of course, yeah, we can do this. And they're like, great. But it needs to sound a lot more authentic than what you're doing on stage. It needs to actually sound like you're being shot, like you're being stabbed you've been set on fire, that you're being electrocuted, like, uh, you know, that you're swallowing and choking on poison gas, the list goes on. So they have to portray all of these really violent kinds of sounds 
And the video game, you know, the players, they want authenticity. They want to feel like they're inside the game and that's not a cartoon. And they need to do those sounds for anywhere from two to four hours. You know, things have changed in the last six years. There's a lot more, as you said, you know, awareness of vocal health and what is being asked of the actors, but they still need to go to those extremes. And for the most part, actors aren't really trained in how to make those sounds and how to do them in a sustainable way for you know two hours at a time it is a really extreme i would say it is definitely the vocal extreme that you might ever possibly imagine so screaming uh, get down or grenade or incoming and followed by being stabbed shot hit with a blunt weapon etc so actor over the summer released a report because vocal performers have been suffering vocal strain require recovery time, but also they're really afraid to voice that to casting directors because they want the work. But you've come up with a training program aimed at reducing some of that. Can you talk a little bit about vocal combat technique? It really is a holistic thing. And this is why Caitlin's been so insanely important to the process is it isn't just about being able to scream. It's about being able to, how do you best recover? Um, how do you prepare for these events? Uh, what are the best ways to, you know, take care of yourself inside the studio? And those are the things that you mentioned, you know, that in, in the voice world isn't really well known. I mean, if you ask most voice actors what they should do to recover, most of them don't actually know for sure. They might have their own thing that they might do. They're like, oh, I drink some tea and honey. But really finding best practices was where Caitlin came in. But her knowledge was was insanely helpful in bringing in what do we actually know in terms of the best ways to recover? It, it is it is really interesting. And, and I'm hoping that things are definitely moving in a better direction with people finally recognizing that they that they can and they need to be protecting themselves and thinking about these things. Because I know when I was in school, it, especially as an actor, it was whatever you needed to to just get through and to do it. And you just dealt with the after effects and, and crossed your fingers and counted on the fact that you'd probably bounce back. But as we know, that's not always true. So the usual, you know, tea, honey, whatnot, doesn't actually guarantee you much in the way of a recovery for your for your voice. It might help with comfort if your throat's a little sore, but it's not going to bring your voice back if you've actually kind of caused some swelling and made yourself hoarse. So one of the things that I love to have people do is this was based on a study done by Kitty Vertolini, who is a wonderful voice pathologist who has collaborated with people in theater arts. Um, she has a whole technique called Lessac Madsen Resonant Voice, where she worked with Arthur Lessac. So uh, she did a study anyway on how you recover best when your vocal folds are inflamed. And curiously, the research showed that Yes, while rest is good, because plenty of people, maybe maybe more so singers than actors, know about like vocal rest and going on an absolute silent kind of uh, trek to improve yourself. But it, it actually helped people heal faster when silence was combined with healthy uh, phonation. So like humming, being silent and then humming in certain intervals actually helps people recover faster because silence decreases the inflammatory markers in your body while that healthy 
gentle phonation that humming causes actually increases the anti-inflammatory markers. So if you just rest, the inflammation goes down, but you don't generate those anti-inflammatory markers that can take the, the inflammation down even faster. So it's a, that idea of the people who have knee surgeries are told to not just don't walk on your knee for months, but at some point movement actually helps the tissue heal. So that's something that maybe people don't intuitively think about. If you're worried enough that you've hurt yourself, you might be completely silent and perhaps a little bit of sound may help you get better faster. Or often enough, I think people don't even think to be silent. And they looked in the study at people who continued to voice after they were injured or swollen, and they did not change. Their, their status didn't change with their vocal folds. They continued to be hoarse, if not slightly worse, by virtue of continuing to talk. So they did gener uh, generate anti-inflammatory markers, but because they were talking and, and all sound making is impact on your vocal folds, which can be a form of trauma, they were sort of negating it as they were trying to, you know, as they were moving in a healthy way, it was going backwards at the same time. So they just treaded water. So Things like that, I think, are really helpful and interesting and, and maybe not something the general population would know a lot about or instinctively turn to. Do you have any other best practices that you'd recommend? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> in my own experience in video games, I would say that you know acid reflux is something that a lot of voice actors don't know about. They may not even know that they have it. And it can be it can be a real killer. I was directing on a game a couple of a couple of weeks ago, and the actor had come in, and their vocal warm up was drinking some some soda pop, and you know they they really struggled in that session. So as much as I could do to help them, in terms of how to make the sounds in a in a healthy way, you have to come in healthy. You have to have warmed up. You want to make sure that you're not uh, starting with a mechanism that is already tired or a little bit fatigued. Part of what we've designed with vocal combat technique is making sure that they have the vocal fitness enough that they can metaphorically go into the ring uh, and they're ready to actually do the work. So they're not already starting from a, a you know, sort of a weakened system. You've unveiled something called the Voice Director's Vocal Health and Safety Certificate. Can you tell me more about that? And I'm wondering how much the issue of directors not appreciating the strain they've put on their actors has been part of the issue. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the first thing I would say is that they do care. I haven't met a voice director or, or voice designer in the video game world that doesn't care that that people are getting injured or that they're losing their voices. And I think it's also important to know that like, a, I would say a fair number of people that I train are in anime or, or cartoon. There's tons of screaming in cartoon and anime is really, really aggressive on the voice. Um, if you think about all the power-ups that happen or the attacks, you know, there's a lot of screaming attacks that occur in anime. And so it isn't just limited to, to video games. It, it is a thing that has been going on for a while across a number of genres. But the challenge is that voice directors are put into a situation where they might have an actor who, again, there isn't any broad training that is occurring in most theater schools. Most theater schools are training actors simply to project and connect to you know their, their artistry and, and rhetorical devices, et cetera. But they haven't been specifically necessarily trained for the event that they're about to go into. And so directors who are often freelancers are caught in between as well. So they have a job to do, they wanna take care of the actor, but they still need to get through the session as best they can. But what they might not know is how to best take care of that actor 
when to know to call a session because sometimes sessions are canceled. Uh, an actor can be in the session, their voice starts to cut out, and even I've even heard an actor still willing to go on, like they still wanted to continue. And the voice director was the one who called the session and said, this session's done. And mostly because they don't want to hurt the actor anymore, but also because they can't literally use the sound. The recording isn't good enough of quality to be able to be used in the game anyway. So it, it is a complex problem. I mean, when I first approached it, I had a sort of mentality to the one that you mentioned, which is like, oh, these, you know, these voice directors don't know what they're doing. But it's a bit like, like riding a bicycle. We need people to wear helmets. We need bike lanes. We need uh, proper signage so that drivers don't you know, hit them. We need to make sure that the people who are riding the bike actually know how to ride a bike. So we're trying to approach it in a holistic manner where we're training actors, uh, spreading awareness, but also you know, giving some tools for the directors who might be in those situations as well. A lot of people listening to this are people who do voiceover in addition to their regular on-air gig. So following maybe four or five hours on air and maybe some multi-market voice tracking in between, or people who just do a lot of commercial work with long sessions. Can you take us through how not to cause yourself injury? A lot of it is is awareness of vocal health at a level that a lot of people just probably have never had to have it before. Like high level vocal tasks are often in our field, like compared to being a, a gymnast, like it's, it's, it's high level intensity performance on the vocal folds. So if talking all day is like marathon running, and if it's comfortable talking, if your speaking voice is easy and free and supported well by your breath, uh, which isn't maybe true for, for everyone who, who spends a lot of time talking. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time helping people find that voice for themselves where it feels easy to talk and it is less fatiguing, which can mean that you are fresher than you would be if you kind of, you know, spent most of your time doing your you, uh, show kind of talking back here all day. You might feel kind of worn out and therefore not in the best place to go and do something more athletic in a way with your voice. So having having a good speaking voice that's comfortable and easy and resonant, which is a lot of what I work on with my patients too, as opposed to just actors. And also, you know, we, we kind of mentioned already the acid reflux and things like that. There's a lot that can dog your voice and cause irritation and change how easy it is to work with it that people people don't think about. It's, it's very subtle. So if you were having allergy issues, when you're doing all of these things and then you do get something added on and you're going for something more intense and aggressive, you know, really making sure that you're on top of treating that sinus drainage can cause inflammation of the vocal folds. And that is it's always harder to work with a system that's irritated and inflamed. It's always riskier too. It's easier to injure yourself if you're already coming in kind of handicapped. It's, I, I think of it like a vocal folds are a flag that blow in the breeze. Essentially, they move over the airflow that we breathe out when we're speaking. And if a flag is, you know, made of silk and blowing very easily versus a flag that's made of felt or a quilt, um, if you're swollen and heavy, it's harder to move. It's harder to move it well. So those are things that are really important is just kind of that awareness of, you know, we wake up in the morning and we think about where our bodies are that day. If you're kind of achy, you're tired, you might adjust what you're going to do that day because of how you feel. Maybe you aren't going to run to the store and you'll get your groceries delivered because you don't, don't feel like you have the extra energy for that with everything that you do have to do. I think a lot of people don't 
think about their voices with that kind of level of, I guess, <laughs> nuanced review in a sense that you don't look and go, oh, I'm feeling kind of froggy this morning. Maybe I need to warm up a little bit before I get on the air. Or, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that lunch um, at that bar. <laughs> Being smart about something, not putting yourself in a place with lots of background noise where you're gonna have to talk loud if you're already feeling a little, mm, this is not my normal sound. You know, that that kind of editing and taking care of yourself. We talk people into taking vocal naps quite often and saying, maybe you do sing along with the radio when you drive, but on a day when your voice isn't feeling as good as it could be, or you're coming down with a cold or you're clearing your throat a lot, it's a little scratchy for whatever reason, don't sing along in the car. That's a, a lot of extra impact, a lot of mileage on your voice. So, you know, every, every time that you are making a sound, your vocal folds are hitting together like thousands of times every second. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a, high intensity action. So if you don't have to talk on a day when you're not feeling the best, don't. So say you got that extra stuff on your plate and it's pretty intense. I would look at my entire day, the day up to that. I would try to make sure that I'm well hydrated because vocal folds need to be well lubricated. Your throat is a very moist environment. And it's happy that way. Vocal folds, they, they vibrate. It's like a machine. You want it well oiled and well lubricated. If they're dry, it's easier again to sort of push harder and to, to hurt them more. So I would make sure I was well hydrated. I would make sure that I wasn't eating late and then going to bed, which can be a risk for acid reflux, which just kind of seems to be more of a problem for people as you go through life anyway. Eating and then laying down almost asks for it after, after a certain age. So making sure that you're not doing that, resting your voice appropriately the day of to make sure that you're not overtaxing it. You know, those, those kinds of things. It's honestly just a lot of it is, is understanding how to optimize your instrument so that you can be fresh to go and do these intense sounds and not, not walk in already kind of, you know, 50% depleted for the day and then trying to push yourself to get to these, these intensities. Cause I think that that does make it a lot harder. We do have some things that we advise people on technique wise that has them make sounds when, when we are training them to, to do these aggressive sessions with other tissues in their throat, as opposed to just using your vocal fold. So that's another way that we try to help people protect themselves by not necessarily using what you instinctively would go to, but something that can produce that same kind of sound, but is a little less rough on your actual vocal fold. So then your voice is preserved better by the end of, of all the intense things that you're doing. I know that you co-authored a paper on this. Can you talk about some of the results from using the vocal combat technique? We, we were training actors. And the first thing we did was that we, and sometimes I forget this part, it, it, it's, uh, but it's really exciting to me is that we reverse engineered this technique. And what I mean by that was that because we didn't actually know what the target sounds were because we had been told the, the growls that we're doing like, ah, ah, those kinds of sounds were, were not going to read on the microphone or in a video game. They were going to sound kind of piratey. And the first thing that we did, we, we did a pilot study where we took two professional video game actors and a professional video game director. Both of them had, have acted in countless video games. The, Video game director Kim Hurden, you know, she's she's well known as the queen of voice and has directed many many actors and many video games. And we put them through a simulation, and in that simulation, we were able to capture the bulk of the sounds that are used in a video game. 
And we went from, what does that sound need to sound like? What does it need to sound like when you get stabbed? And then went, okay, now how can we do that in the healthiest way possible? Then the next step that we did is once we could created that protocol of like, okay, do this, this, and this, we create that sound. Now we're going to take one group of voiceover actors who haven't done a video game before. We put them through that scenario, tested them before and after. Uh, did recordings of them, did surveys for them, gave them a washout period where they could relax, rest their voice, had them come back, train them in vocal combat technique, and then put them through the simulation again. And what we found was that their fatigue reduced by 48%, their recovery time improved by 60%, and their confidence improved by like 100%. So you know, we asked them after the first simulation, like, would you do this again? And they were like, uh, God, no. But they did come back. They got the training and they completed it. And at the end of it, they felt like, oh, I feel like I could survive a session in the future. And we did that because we wanted to make sure that what we're training people in uh, actually works. You know, that we're not, we had a lot of anecdotal advice from actors who were saying, oh my gosh, this is really saving my voice. This is really helping me. I just used it in a video game. It really helped me. But we wanted something that was a little bit more empirical. You both a couple of times now have mentioned diet in this conversation. Is this an overlooked area to the whole idea of maximizing your vocal health? I'm going to say it's it's a it's a big one that I end up talking to a lot of people about because I don't think that there's a great awareness of acid reflux and the throat um, and how those could connect and how that could be affected. So most people would think of reflux as heartburn and, you know, like that's, that's a esophageal issue or having GERD or something like that. Like it's talking about reflux in the voice is something that I, I really feel like has happened mostly at my ENT office because people haven't ever heard of it before that, that it actually can affect your throat and the symptoms when it affects your throat are completely different. You don't necessarily feel the burning that you do when you would get heartburn. So a lot of people have reflux issues that they're not aware of until they change their diet or treat it uh, with some medication for a brief period of time and then feel better and and kind of are blown away by that point that that they had anything going on to begin with. The signs of reflux in the throat, irritation in the throat, are things like throat clearing after eating, feeling like your voice is a little raspy, lower, oftentimes in the morning, people who wake up, morning voice, doesn't have to be a thing, which is an interesting uh, notion that a lot of people maybe don't don't think about. Like it's typically if your voice is lower pitched and raspier in the morning, it's because again, your vocal folds are a little irritated. So they've swelled up a bit and it's dropped your pitch. So raspy voice, throat clearing, a dry tickly cough. So if you ever find that you eat something and uh, like suddenly a spice or a, something hits you in the back of your throat, and it's way more sensitive than it would ever be. And you're suddenly in a coughing fit or you take a breath and that breath of air just makes you cough. Feeling like there's something stuck in the back of your throat, like there's mucus that just won't come out no matter how much you clear. These are actually symptoms of what we call laryngopharyngeal reflux, which is acid reflux that comes up and into the back of your throat, not anything you would ever feel. And I will, I will attest to that myself because I, I knew that I had reflux for a long time and then was trying to work on my voice and noticing that if I sang first thing in the morning, it would take me a couple of hours to warm up to be able to sing well. 
And when I finally stopped eating three to four hours before I went to bed, I could wake up and I could sing whatever the heck I wanted. <laughs> it was no problem. It was, uh, I was sort of sabotaging myself. Like I'd, I'd thought that if I was having reflux at night, I would have obviously woken up. I would have felt it. I would have needed Tums or something. And it, it's not true at all. So diet can be very important. Again, not mentioned the hydration part of it. So that that is a piece of it too. If you're drinking a lot of coffee and tea and alcohol, all of those things are dehydrating if it's caffeinated. So being aware of the, your liquid intake and being aware of, of how you're setting yourself up, if there's a chance, not everyone has reflux. That is 100% for certain. And if what I'm saying doesn't sound like anything that, that you've ever had before, then it might not be what's going on. But I have a lot of people who never interpreted what they were feeling any differently than just going, oh, I just thought it was allergies. And that's why I was clearing my throat. Or I thought everyone had morning voice or that it took everyone three hours to warm up if they tried to vocalize that early in the morning. But usually if you're dealing with it, you kind of recognize along the lines of what I'm saying, and it makes a little bit of sense. So trying to look at the foods that cause acid reflux, even if you're not feeling any heartburn and remove them from your diet for a while and see how you do. I know personally for me, if I eat some foods on what they call the reflux diet, which is the same as anyone who has got heartburn reflux. It's, you know, avoiding spicy foods and acidic and tomato-based chocolate, caffeine, alcohol, mint, there's loads of stuff on it. But if I eat any of those things, I'll be clearing my throat for a little while after I'm done eating. And I never knew until I got into the field that I'm in that that's a sign that that was bothering me. So now I take antacids if I encounter any of those foods. Gaviscon's my favorite for helping with uh, that kind of regurgitation acid reflux that again, you may never feel or know is happening, which is so crazy about it. So it's this really sneaky, subtle, undermining thing that's often going on with people and their voices. And I've seen a lot of singers and professional voiceover people hurting themselves because they're voicing intensely on a system that's already irritated, kind of handicapped a little bit. They're not going in at full strength. And it becomes the reason that they hurt themselves is they've been singing and doing this for years. So why suddenly are they doing the same thing and, and not doing well? And it's almost always because something has changed in their diet or lifestyle. They're now eating later. They got a different job. The timing of something is, is off or they, I know uh, people who would sing at, at gigs and they would be offered, you know, alcohol while they were gigging. And then they started drinking while they were up late and singing. And, you know, that all those kinds of things can kind of do more than you think to put you at a disadvantage for having a, a, a healthy and um, capable voice. So do you have some must don'ts, Caitlin, for vocal performers? Did, sorry, did you say must don'ts? Yeah, must don'ts. <laughs> Um, I was making sure I heard you right. Okay. So I've not heard it put that way. Um, I like that. Ideally must be hydrated. Yes. Uh, that's kind of an obvious one that a lot of people probably know about, but maybe don't know why I would bet a lot of people have no idea what their vocal folds actually look like and how slimy they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be pretty slimy. So, uh, hydration is, is as important as everyone tells you. I, I honestly feel like you must, must listen to your body. That's a little bit more of a, you know, intuitive kind of, of leap, but you've got to pay attention to how you are feeling and sounding and respond to that and not just plow through. I feel like a lot of people treat their voices like it's expendable and like, eh, it'll bounce back or I can get through the day. I'm going to make it. And like, I, you know, it's a, it's a triumphant medal. If you've, you know, done what you needed to do, even if you lost your voice by the end of the day, it's like, oh, I pushed through and I got there. And it's, it's like that, that'll bite you in the butt and that's not good. So must 
listen to your body and, and ideally respond and be kind to it as you would if you were feeling under the weather in a more holistic sense of yourself, but treating your voice with that same care and acknowledgement. Don't the obvious don'ts. Smoking doesn't do anybody any good. Um, it, it can cause a certain kind of fluid retention in your vocal folds called Ranke's edema, and that makes them swell up and not unswell. <laughs> there is no way to stop that swelling from being present. It just builds upon itself. It doesn't happen to everyone who smokes, but it happens to a lot of people who do. It's that if anyone notices someone who smokes that their voice is a lower pitch than it used to be or that it gets lower with time, that's because of the fluid buildup in the vocal folds, and it can only be removed surgically. If you stop smoking, it does not go away. So smoking certainly is a is a is a definite don't. Being out of balance with how much dehydrating um, beverages you are consuming, with whatever you're taking in as far as water is concerned, is is also a, a don't. Dehydration does not help. Don't again. Don't think that your voice is invincible. And understanding that volume and the amount that you talk, your vocal folds bang together when you're speaking, the louder you are, the harder they hit. So that is that that's rough on them. So, you know, don't shout through your entire day if you have a choice. So if, if you are a person who is you know, a professional voice user and you have a particularly also boisterous and loud personality, I know a lot of people who are teachers and they're just very outgoing, but they're loud at home, they're loud at school, they're loud everywhere. And so that's really, really hard on your voice. So you know, again, if that's back to the do listen to your body, don't believe that they're invincible. Everyone talks about don't throat clear. It's not a great idea. Um, it, I've watched it in high speed, which usually the way that we visualize vocal folds is with a strobe light. So we see everything in slow motion because they vibrate too fast for a normal camera. But if you have a high speed camera, you can see it. And a throat clear that's like... <clears throat> is like hurricane force winds on your vocal cords. It puts them right into the airstream and whips them around and it's really kind of aggressive. So we definitely ask people to do a more or gentle kind of throat clear. Um, that's kind of a, a small but but helpful don't. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of, you know, again, just a, attention to the fact that it it's, it's tissue down there in your throat. The vocal chords, as everyone calls them, are not made of steel like guitar chords. So it, it, it takes a little care and finesse and understanding of that the things that are intense, that are aggressive on them does do some wear and tear. So I'll, I'll chip back in if I can think of the other one that left my brain, but I, I think those are, those are probably my big ones at the moment. I just want to follow up on some of the things that Caitlin said, which I think are insanely important about hydration and, and vocal health. These are all the things that are going to help you, you know, before you arrive. But in addition to that, you know, train for the thing that you're about to do, that if you do audiobooks, that, you know, know that video games are a different thing, just as commercials are different, um, just as radio broadcasting is a different thing. And so make sure that you're training or getting training to allow you to do that event and that you're warming up ahead of time. It, it doesn't matter how nice the voice director is. If you haven't come in with an instrument that's ready to work, you know, they're spending time getting you to get into that. Like Caitlin had said, it is your voice. And so you need to advocate for your voice. I've never been in a session where an actor has said, I need a break. And the, and the director doesn't want them to do it. You know, every director will give you a break because they'd rather that you have that break and come back. than you keep going and they have to cancel the session. So know when you need to take a break and, and have an awareness of your voice and its limits. And then finally, just Make sure you 
budget time. Like as Caitlin was talking about with recovery, it does take time to recover whatever you might've done. Um, and so a bit like, you know, athletes, you, you expend energy, then you need time to recover and you want to budget that time to make sure that you're giving your body that time to recover. What does an ideal warm-up look like for you, Darcy? So I would say it really depends on what it is you're about to do. But in terms of video games, sometimes you don't know what it is you're about to be asked to do. You might show up for the session and because of secrecy in video games, you might not have even gotten the script the day before. So I would definitely make sure that I've gone through my range. So if screaming is coming up, that I've worked my upper range and that feels really quite warm. Uh, I've worked my lower range for any kind of growls or grunts that are going to occur. Um, I've worked on sustaining pitches at a comfortable comfortable pitch, but also at slightly higher pitches because a lot of the barks or shouts that we do, uh, barks are where we're saying things like grenade or he's got a machine gun um, at a you know sort of screamed or shouted sort of projection level. And just that you practice those things ahead of time. I think that is novel for most actors. Uh, just like we don't jump into a stage fight, you know, we have a fight call. We do the fight at 25%, 50%, 75%, and then at full out. If the first time you're screaming is the first time you're in the booth, you're going to be kind of like trying to figure out where is my scream? Where is that? Uh, so do your vocal warm up and then just do, you know, so long as you're safe wherever you are in your house, but, but check where that scream is. So the first time you're screaming is under pressure. Are there any other thoughts you want to leave us on? Just that I, th- I think for me that things are changing in the business. I've been on a number of games in the last, since that Actra uh, report was sent out. And, and there was a lot of care, both in the casting process, making sure people knew what they were talking about, making sure that they were feeling okay on a regular basis uh, and know that what they were getting into. So they weren't being surprised by, oh my gosh, there's a lot of screaming in this. I didn't know that. So there does seem to be, at least in Canada anyway, there does seem to be a shift in, in consciousness and awareness and best practices. So that's, that's really, you know, good to see. Even singing teachers now are, know about, you know, speech pathologists, and there's, there's a lot more collaboration now with the medical side of things and the arts in all um, areas of voice. So it's really exciting and it's wonderful to be, you know, kind of on maybe on, on the front edge of this or right in time with when this is all kind of surging. You know, we published that paper and just the other day, another paper I think came out of Australia and they've already cited our article because maybe there's some momentum picking up with people wanting to do research on voiceover artists and that that's a population that hadn't been investigated in the the journals for, for voice and for, you know, medical sciences before. So it, it is. It's really exciting. And, and we are looking forward to kind of continuing on with things from here and just, just uh, seeing how it goes. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Broadcast 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.